0: Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. This actually is a card from um, one of the grades at uh, Garlow Elementary. Look at this little guy. Isn't this beautiful? All the kids, they just signed it for us. Thank you, Awaken. So, round of applause for yourselves. Well done, well done. And may I remind you, may I remind you that a relationship like this, where there's actually trust that will bear the weight of awesome conversations, has taken us two and a half years to build. So do not be discouraged if your first efforts go unwanted or unnoticed. I remember when I first called those folks, I was like, for crying out loud, will you please take a meeting with me? Two years, two years. So, way to go. Um, we're in the series, Wells and Fences. This is week five of week seven. And uh, we have been talking about what is at the center. Um, so this is a review, and I invite you to jump in and join as I ask questions. Sometimes you might think they're rhetorical. This is the point at which they are not. Okay? So um, we've, we've been looking at this, uh, this graphic here and talking about two different ways of thinking. One being, did you like that? That was perfect timing. Uh, one being a bounded set on the left, one being a centered set on the right. And so the question that's important in a bounded set is what? What do you believe, okay? What do you believe or do you believe what we believe? Uh, and this is often how religious communities and churches function, where it's what do you believe and do you believe what we believe? And if not, you know, outside of the fence, so to speak. We've been offering the possibility and the, the uh, um, sort of the, off, uh, you know, the, the, uh, we've been offering this idea about Awaken as a centered set community where at the center is the life, death, teachings, and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. And so the question here is not necessarily do you believe what we believe, which determines whether you're in or out, but the question is what direction are you headed and uh, what's the momentum, right? Are you are you moving at all? Uh, and so what what's at the center becomes what is absolutely critical and important because if it's, you know... Uh, horticulture or something, that's at the center. Well, that's a totally different kind of deal, right? But this is, we've said that, that Jesus is the center of this community. And and really, uh, and we've been exploring these six affirmations which stand at the center of the covenant denomination, which we are becoming a part of this summer. And so the first three that we've talked about, uh, just by way of review, shout them out if you remember any of them. We've covered three so far, three of the six affirmations. anyone? Anyone? Necessity for new birth. That was week two. What else? The whole mission of the church. That was last week. So that was week three. The first week we talked about centrality of the word, the Bible. Okay. So why is the Bible important? The necessity for new birth, and then last week the whole mission of the church. Well done. You've passed. Good job. Give yourselves a round of applause. Oh my gosh, Mike! Don't do that. Do this ever again. I will probably do that next week, so if you want to um, write those things down, at least you won't be so nervous next week, all right? Um, So this week we want to discuss, and kind of keeping on with last week, we talked about the whole mission of the church, we want to discuss this idea of the fellowship of believers or the priesthood of believers, if you've heard that language. So open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, if you have them um, in, in concrete form or digital. And 1 Peter chapter 2, almost all the way to the end of the Bible, right before you get to Revelation, verse 9, Peter says this. But you, he's speaking to the church, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God, as we open this text and this story, would you, as you always do, uh, be present in the midst of it? Would you speak through it? Would you illuminate our hearts and call us, invite us, move us into and uh, out of the places of darkness and into the places of light, the places you have called us to live and move and have our being? In the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit, all God's people said, amen. Okay, so much packed in this little verse. Uh, Peter says, you have been chosen, you have been chosen by God. And I think sometimes when we read a passage like this, in this language of chosen or elected or picked out, uh, we immediately move back to Romans chapters. I think it's nine, where God, uh, where where Paul talks about the elect and uh, uh, the chosen people, and this, is, of course, informs a whole way of thinking that that is sort of coined or phrased reformed theology. It comes from Calvin and goes back to Augustine, and it's this idea that God has predestined or elected a certain group a certain group of people the elect, and has sort of predestined or not elected another group of people who are sort of um, up the creek without a paddle, so to speak, eternally, okay? I want to suggest that's not what Peter's talking about here. He's talking about something far far greater than that and far larger than that. I'm not... Though I would, if you know me, I'll play, I show my cards pretty much every week. I'm not a reform guy. I think that's a terrible reading of Romans for a number of different readings. I would want to offer some different possibilities there. But what Peter is doing here is something totally other than that. What he's saying is you, church, you have been chosen by God not to be saved or to be elect or to be predestined, but God has chosen to work through a particular group of people in the world for a particular purpose or mission. So if you back the truck up, What's the mission of God in a couple different places? It says the restoration of all people, the redemption of all people, the renewal of all things. This is the mission of God, that God would be about renewing, restoring, redeeming all that God created in Genesis 1 and 2. So this is the mission of God. And Peter says, you, the church, have been chosen to participate, that God might actually do this mission through you. So you have been chosen by God to do this. He goes on and he says, he calls them a priesthood and a holy nation, which we'll come back to in just a second. But then he says, so that you will bear witness to the one who has called you out of darkness and into light, right? The necessity for new birth. That you have been called out of darkness into light, out of obscurity and out of without a name and into a family with a purpose. This is what you have been chosen, called, invited to do and be as the church. Now, this priesthood, this holy nation, I think it begs a couple of questions. One being, is this language, do we find this language anywhere else in the scriptures? If you've been around Awaken or me long enough, this is a question that I think is really important that you ask. When you read something in the Bible, and it's maybe not clear how many of you used the words priesthood and holy nation at work last week? Right. So probably not something we're using in our everyday vernacular. When you find a word like that or a concept like that, One of the best questions you can ask is, where is it found elsewhere? Or where was it first used? That's very big in Judaism. So go back. If you go back, you'll find that it is used in the scriptures, and we'll do that in a second. But a second question is, what does it mean? What does a priest actually do? So scoot back, if you will, to Exodus chapter 19. Uh, in the story, the, this is where the Israelites have been called out of Egypt. Moses has come. He's told Pharaoh, let my people go. Oh, baby, Ufta, let them go. They've left Egypt, and now they're on their way into Sinai, into the wilderness and onto the promised land eventually. Moses, or, uh, Exodus 19 says this. On the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they... They entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of a mountain. And then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my commands, my covenant, then out of all the nations... You will be my treasured possession. Although the earth is mine, you will be for me, here it is, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So clearly we see from the beginning here, God chooses Israel to be this royal priesthood, this holy nation to and for the world. So this goes back all the way to Genesis chapter 3 and the havoc that ensues from Adam and Eve, the first humans who eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what ensues because of that, sin we would call it, brokenness, the the breaking of shalom, God enters, God, or I shouldn't say enters, God uh, interjects, he's present in the midst of it, but then God actually gets involved physically in and through Israel. And Israel becomes the first sort of crack at, the first way by which God addresses Genesis 3. And he calls them, he says, you will be a priesthood and a holy nation. Now, what does a priest do? This is a very good question. I grew up with four brothers right over here in the midway. We grew up playing hockey, all five of us together. If you can imagine that as a mom or dad, um, bonkers. We broke every house, every window in the house at some point. We played hockey inside and out. Yep, yep, yep. We had some of the dumbest games ever. We had this one. We played like tackle football in the living room and dining room. We'd clear everything out, and it was like end zone was living room, dining room, and like full on tackle football. I have a scar in my eyebrow. I totally beat my brother. Told juking him, get around him, and like as I'm going into the end zone, he gives me a cheap shot from behind. I hit my face right on the fireplace like corner. It was terrible. So we grew up all kinds of bonkers, craziness, hockey, and one of my friends when I played hockey, his name was Ryan Wetterberg, and uh, um, this isn't a bad story about Ryan, so we'll keep his name for the sake of non-anonymity, I don't even know what you'd call that, so uh, so I grew up with, um, I, I played hockey with this kid named Ryan Wetterberg, and I grew up going to a church in, in Roseville, Grace Church in Roseville, very conservative, evangelical free church, um, the, the two high-back chairs up on the stage where Pastor Galen would sit and the music guy, Pastor John Benham. You know what I'm talking about, okay? So this is my context for church, right? This is all I know about church and religion and pastor people, what they do. It's Galen and, and Mr. Benham. And so Ryan, he grew up Catholic. And uh, uh, so I went to a sleepover at his house, and I went to my first Catholic mass ever. <laughs> I walk in the door. Okay, I'm I'm probably like 10, 11, 12 years old, right? have no idea what's about to happen or what's coming down the pike. So I go in and everyone's in there very, very quiet, very reverent, which wasn't terribly different from my church, you know, the choir, the whole deal, my grandma and grandpa sang in it. So that's not very different. But then I get to the I get to the bleachers or the, uh, the pews and there's these things that they, they like flip down and I wasn't sure if I'm like kicking up my feet on these things or what I'm supposed to do with them, right? So then everybody starts kneeling on these things and I'm thinking to myself, well, when in Rome, so I kneel down in this deal and then they're doing all these hand signals and I'm thinking, are they? calling call in plays or what's happening here? I'm not sure. They're you know genuflecting and the whole deal, and then, uh, and then and then the priest comes in and I'm like, what in the world? This guy is like full garb, you know, full robes and the whole big hat, the whole deal. And I'm thinking like, where's the who, who called the Wizard of Oz? Honestly. So then not then it gets worse. It gets crazier, right? And remember, I'm 10, 11, 12. I have no context for this. All I know is Galen and John Benham. He's got this. He's, this thing, this big ball that's hanging on a chain, and it seems like dinging, and he's like, bang, you know, and it's clanging, and there's smoke coming out of this thing, and I'm thinking to myself, somebody sound the fire alarm, we're in big trouble here, and then it's, the whole place just starts reeking of some bizarre scent that I've never smelled before in my whole life, and they, I mean, it just keeps getting weirder and weirder for me, right? The, he does, you know, the choir, and then he kind of talks for a while, and I'm like, what in the world? And then communion happens. Now, my my dad's a recovering alcoholic, so booze was never a part of our family. It was never in our house. And I go up for communion, and, you know, they don't do the intinction deal. It's like full-on, drink it, right? You know, wipe it, which, let's be honest, does that actually work? Wipe the the germs? Yeah, right, okay. So I go up there, I I grab the wafer, and I just take a big swig of what I assume to be grape juice, and it's like, Katie, bar the door. What is happening here? It's wine. It's not grape juice. It's wine. So this is all I know about what does a priest do. All these things, the ball, the top hat, the whole deal. <laughs> it was awesome. It was, I, I went home and I'm like, Mom, you are never going to believe this. She's like, yeah, honey, that's called Catholicism. It's pretty normal. I thought it was really interesting. Um, so what does a priest do is the question right? What do they actually do? For is Because remember, we're talking about Israel here. We're talking about Genesis. We're talking about Abraham. We're talking about Exodus. We're talking about this, this nation. And then these priests, what do they actually do? If you didn't know, the, the, there's 12 tribes in Israel. The Levites, one of the 12 tribes was called out. And from the tribe of Levi came the priest or the, the priestly line. And these are all the people who do all of the work in the temple for the Israelites. A few things that they would do. They performed sacrifices on behalf of the people and they offered forgiveness on behalf of God. So they were sort of this like intermediary. They occupied this really sacred space in between the people and God. On the day of atonement, they would actually take the sins of the people on themselves symbolically and they would go into the temple. This is Yom Kippur. It's the highest and holiest day still in Judaism. Happens in September or October depending on uh, what, what year it is, and it, it comes from Leviticus uh, chapter 16 where God says, for on this day he will forgive you, purify you, that you will be cleansed from all your sins before God. So the, whole, the high priest, like the, the top of the hierarchy, the highest priest of all of them, goes into the Holy of Holies. They would tie a rope around his ankle. If the bells stopped dinging, they knew he was dead, and they would yank him out because this was a big deal. They'd go into the Holy of Holies once a year and offer this sacrifice on behalf of the people So the sins of the people would be on the priest, and God would offer forgiveness through this sacrifice. This should sound vaguely familiar, if you know Jesus at all, on behalf of the people. So they would do this, they perform sacrifices, they would would represent the people to God, and they they were sort of these prayers, intercessors between God and the people. Bottom line, the priests were consecrated, which is a code word for they were set apart. Out of this one group of people, this, the Israelites, this one tribe, the Levites, the men of this tribe were set apart for a job and they were essentially the conduit between or for the worship of God and the forgiveness of sin. So any worship of Yahweh that happened in the Old Testament went through the people, went through the Levites, went through the priests, and so they were this conduit for the worship of God and the forgiveness of sin. This is what Israel, bigger picture, was supposed to be for the world. They would be a priest of a holy priesthood. By, by, and, by and through this group of people, the world would know who Yahweh is. The world would know what it means to be in relationship with God. And this was what God's original plan was with Israel. So you have Old Testament. Israel is called this priesthood, this holy nation, this sort of representative that the world would know. And now you have Peter using this term, same term of the church of Jesus Christ. Somehow, in the midst of that, moving from Old Testament to New Testament, pre-resurrection, post-resurrection, things get redefined on this side of resurrection. And the church, this group, the people of God, Israel, the church becomes this new people of God centered in and around this Jesus instead of worship of God and of Yahweh in the temple and the priests. And Peter uses this phrase, you are a priesthood of believers. You are a fellowship of believers. So why is this, let me turn it towards uh, home base here and land this thing. Why is this so important? Why is this so critical? Why is it one of the six affirmations of this denomination that we're a part of? A couple of thoughts uh, as we explore that. One, I would say, the strength of the church as a fellowship of believers is that it is as wide as possible without losing the center. This is from a book called Covenant Affirmations. It says, It is open, meaning the church, it is open to all believers. We do not expect that all believers will agree on every detail of Christian belief. What is required is that one be born anew, right? This is the necessity for new birth, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, 1 Peter 1. But if membership is open to all believers... It is also open only to believers. So as wide as possible without losing the center, the doors of the church are wide enough to admit all who believe and narrow enough to exclude those who do not. As wide as we can possibly open the doors... The Church of Jesus Christ is a fellowship, a gathering of believers, right? Can anyone think, uh, did anyone watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy? You remember that movie? Can you hear like the elvish lady who's narrating at the beginning in the crazy, you know, funky music? This fellowship of bizarre people, halflings and dwarves and wizards and hobbits and who else? I don't even know. Uh, I think I've covered it all. Elves. Why is this bizarre, bizarre, crazy different group of people? The, the one thing they hold in common is this fellowship of this ring. And, and the common goal of taking this ring of power and destroying it in the, in the fires of Mordor, which is where it was created. That holds them together, it binds them together. And in so far, or in so doing, they become this fellowship of this ring. The church is this fellowship of believers. I remember sitting at a, at a lunch and somebody asked me, I hear that awaken is welcoming, you know, X Y Z as as members in their at your church. Is this true? Right, bounded set, because they're out. Traditionally, those people, whoever it is, I heard that you're welcoming so and so as members in your church. Is this true? Do you affirm faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? That is the one question that our tradition has historically asked for membership in the Covenant Church. And it will remain the one question that we ask for membership, what we're calling partnership at Awaken. And friends, here's the thing. This ought, and I don't say ought or should very often because it induces guilt and I never want to do that, but this ought to be The disposition of our hearts. We ought to want to open the doors as wide as we possibly can for as many to be a part of this thing that we call the church and the kingdom. We ought to be, our hearts ought to be wanting that. And if they're not, and it's like all these check boxes, and if you don't check them all, you're out. If that's kind of how we do things, then I would question, I think that there's some work to be done in our own hearts. But for the grace of God, there go you, right? Right? No, that's not actually how it goes. My grandpa used to say that. Did they, Did yours say that to you? But for the grace of God, there go I. I, would, I want to suggest the possibility that our hearts ought to want to open the doors as wide as we possibly can. And if our hearts don't want that, where we think, oh, they shouldn't be, and they shouldn't, they shouldn't, they, and them... We'll leave it right there. Two, so open the door. Like there's this, There's it's wide as we can get it without losing the center. And And because of that, we have this anchor. We have this anchor at the center. There's this well that we're being drawn to and drawing from. And while we have a lot of rope, so to speak, to sort of navigate our own context and culture, like doing this here is different than doing what, you know, some of my friends were doing in the Bronx who were here last week. So we can figure out how we as a community navigate this thing. But we have this anchor, this center uh, uh, in the same, the covenant affirmations. It says the covenant church holds that there is only one indispensable ministry. It is that of Jesus Christ. So we, we we will die on this hill. And it's about the only one we will die on. Part of our journey, does uh, anybody know what church polity means? Anybody know what that word is, polity? How, you, how like you govern yourself, right? So traditionally speaking, churches have different ways of governing themselves. Uh, in our kind of Protestant stream, it's Episcopalian, which is like a bishop at the top, one bishop to rule them all. See what I did there? <laughs> one bishop to rule them all. Uh, uh, Presbyterian, which is sort of like a hybrid between Episcopal and what we have is congregational, Congregational polity essentially means that we as a community autonomously govern ourselves and we elect leaders who will help, you know, um, keep this thing tenaciously focused on what's at the center. While we have this relationship with, uh, I'll just read it, they say it better than I do. Um, It says this The covenant church is a communion of interdependent member congregations. Each local congregation seeks the guidance of the Spirit in matters of common life and mission. In accordance with congregational polity, every congregation is free to govern its own affairs. At the same time, every covenant congregation has committed itself to participate responsibly in the fellowship, decisions, and shared ministries of the regional conferences and denominations. So we have this anchor that holds us to the center, and it's the one indispensable ministry of Jesus and maybe as we kind of wrap this thing up, I would say, because of this, we're talking about the fellowship of believers that we as a community have been set apart, called, chosen to do something and be something in the world. There's no longer this hierarchy of of sort of power from the top, you know, the high priests and the Levites and the rest, but rather there's this flattening of leadership among God's new people, and it's based on the gifting of the spirit, which has been given to all God's people who, are, who have said yes to him in Christ, not Micah, Ben, Toph, clergy, professional Christian people who get paid to do this. Do you see what's happening here? So the shift is from this sort of hierarchical, top-down, institutionalized thing, and all of those things can be very, very good when done well. But the shift in the New Testament and this side of resurrection is this sort of flattened leadership where I don't have a trump card in this community per se. Rather, I bring particular gifts to the table and I use them for the benefit of this community. The, the takeaway of this is you you, 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 all of you have been given gifts by the Spirit to participate in the work of the church in the world to participate in this being chosen and set apart for something in the world, to partner with God in the work of redemption, which means you all have something in your hands. We've talked about this before. We have all been gifted by God to do something, to participate. You have something. It may be a a relationship. It may be a child. It may be... God has given you something to invest yourself in for the sake of the kingdom. It may be a gift, a passion, a relationship, a job. Do a... you see what I'm saying? And so the the option of sitting here on Sunday mornings and never doing anything in the life of this community is quite frankly not on the table. And if that's the the, the, the place that you come from, then I would kindly ask you to reconsider what it is you're thinking about, and if you just can't go there, then there are plenty of other churches down the street that would love to take you in. We have work to do, and we probably need your parking spot. This is not optional for the people of God. I say that always holding intention. Many of you have come here broken and hurt from relationships, from other churches, from people, from family, from whatever... And we want Awaken to be a safe place for you to journey with Jesus at the center. And it will be that so long as we're here. But that is always with and in holding, like it can't be one without the other. So here's what I want to do. As we kind of close... I'm going to just lead you in a, in a small little exercise. And then I'm going to ask Kaylee, who's our artist in residence this month. She's going to come and just lead us in a, in a few prompts. Uh, as She's a writer, and so we're going to give you some time to just kind of write. So if you have your journal or there's uh, post-its on the table there, grab a pen and get ready for that. But if you would, for just a moment, I'm going to ask if you would close your eyes, kind of center yourself just for a moment. And I want you to, I want you to focus on breathing, so, just for the next moment or so, take a deep, deep breath in and exhale. Inhale and then exhale. In and out. Receive and give. I want to suggest the possibility that this is what faith should should feel like. That it's something that we receive, we breathe in. We breathe in God's spirit, God's the person of Jesus, we breathe it in. We allow it to change us, we allow it to give us life, and then we give back to the world. And if you only breathe in, you die. It just doesn't work. So this idea of amassing more and more spiritual capital, more Bible study, more knowledge, more worship, more Sunday morning, more without ever asking what's in my hands and how do I invest it, give it to the people in my life, in the community that I'm a part of, in the neighborhoods that I live in. It's got to be both. So Kaylee's going to lead us in uh, a reflection and a few prompts, um, and then she's actually going to pray a prayer of blessing and benediction at the end. Um, So Kaylee, if you would.
1: (laughs) As Micah said, we're entering um, into a time of just reflection and using writing to just explore something with God, to explore ideas, to process things through with him um, in written form. So like you said, there's uh, pens and post-its in front of you if you uh, don't have anything and we're just going to spend a few minutes just thinking with God. So the prompts. First, what's in your hand? What are the barriers to investing it? And is your well full? So like I said we have to give from a place of abundance, otherwise we'll dry up and crack. So I'll give you a few minutes. Holy Father, we are your church, a church that aches to be like your Son, who brings light and life to those who think light is just a myth. You know us. You made us you know what makes us tick you know our hearts desires our dreams you know our darkest fears are seemingly impossibles if the barriers are in our hearts lord break them down if the barriers are in our fears break them down if the barriers are in our circumstances break them down and in its place with the desires dreams passions and skills that you gave us is a sound foundation. Build your heart. Build your son. For Christ is our victor, our anchor, our vision. He came before us, offering himself as the final healer of every hurt, the vanquisher of every fear. With everything we have, with everything we wish to be, lead us to the well, fill us to the rim with your son's goodness, and send us out into this world which desperately needs to know that Jesus loves them, a love that compares to nothing else found on this earth. We are your people. We are your church. We are yours. Build us up. Send us out. In your son's beautiful name, amen.
0: Grace and peace. online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on facebook at www.facebook.com backslash
1: community or on twitter at awakening community
0: see you next time